podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle. He's got Hello everybody and welcome to the 96th episode of Two Slips in a Gully. I'm joined by Glenn tonight. How are you, Glenn? Hello, how are you? I am really good. Really good. It's, uh, you know, summer's on its way, I swear. It's been nothing but rain since it started, but uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's promising big things. It's, you know, mm. warm and humid and muggy, so we know it's going to be, you know, once the rain clears, it's going to be right to go for a, a cracking <laughs> summer out here where we live. It feels like a very tropical island right now. Yes, yes. Very English summer. Lots of rain everywhere. A little bit yeah. warmer, I imagine. Lots of miserable people around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is episode 96, and we have a little bit to go through. Uh, of course, we'll have to talk about the uh, the scandal that has ripped through the Australian side on the eve of the Ashes, which is Tim Payne resigning. So we'll have a bit of a chat about that. Yep. It hasn't been covered enough, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I, I feel that media is sort of just giving... Oh, boy, I can't even say that with a straight face. Um, AB De Villiers this week has announced his retirement from all forms of cricket, so we thought we'd just do a bit of a tribute to AB De Villiers. He's probably mm. my, one of my... In, in my time watching cricket, he's probably my favourite player that has, is not an Australian, AB De Villiers. Yeah. Phenomenal player. Lots and lots of good things to say about him, and uh, I thought we'd finish it off with a trip in the time machine. We haven't used the time machine for a little while. Yep, dusting it off as always. And uh, the reason why is because earlier this week marked the, uh, I think it's the 10th anniversary of yeah. uh, when Michael Clark had the purplest of purple patches rattling off four double hundreds, well, three double hundreds and a triple hundred in the space of a calendar year. Mm. So just a phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. bit of batting there from Michael Clark, where he, he established he, himself as... Yeah, he almost won over the Australian public. <laughs> uh, I've, been a big, I've been a big fan of Pat the whole time. I'm happy to say that. I know you have, but, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the general kind of vibe around him. Up until that point. Apart the media presence, I could take or leave. He's a bit uh, mm. like, if I say something outlandish enough, they'll put me on radio. Yeah. Like some of the stuff he says, I don't even know if he believes. And then other stuff, it's like, yes, this is the super intelligent ca- captain of Australia that we had for years. Yeah. So, yeah, I think sometimes he his opinion might be for sale sometimes. Mm. But, uh, no, Mark Clark, the player, was phenomenal, and this is probably the, the peak of his powers. So we're going to have a trip back and, and just watch Michael Clark in action at the Adelaide Oval. Um, but uh, if you've been following along, all through the 90s, our episodes of the 90s, we have been paying tribute to the most prolific 90-getters that Australia has had to offer in Test Cricket and that would be Michael Slater, who famously has been dismissed nine times in the 90s, mm. and Steve Waugh, who was dismissed eight times in the 90s but also had two 90 not outs. So a total of 19 90 scores between them. Mm-hmm. And so we're up to the 96s. So uh, we'll start off with slats. So on the 22nd of October in 1998 in Karachi, uh, against Pakistan, Slats had a first innings 96, and I believe he got it off about 250 balls. So it was a very, uh, very 
you know, disciplined innings from, from Slats. Yeah. And, Glenn, I will give you $1,000 if you can guess Australia's bowling attack for that game. Karachi, 1998. Hmm. Let me think. Mm -hmm. So start with the obvious ones. We'll go one at a time, okay. and I'll buzzer okay. you out if you get it wrong. All right. Did they have McGrath? McGrath, yes. Yeah. Okay. Did they have Shane Warne? No. Okay. So he would have been out because of the band diuretic. Would that have been around? Maybe his shoulder. Yeah, shoulder injury. Okay. Um. Hmm. Damien Fleming. He wasn't in there. Two strikes, got one more. Come on, you got to get this one right. Okay. Uh, hmm. Let's go. Paul Rifle? No. Bow, bom, bom. Good, because I didn't really have $1,000 to give you. Yeah, right. McGrath. Yeah, I got one. Colin Miller. Oh. McGill. All right, yeah, yeah. And Gavin Robertson. Three spinners. <laughs> Plus, you know, Miller to open the bowling. I don't know. I just really love it when I see that they've gone with that tactic. It's just, yeah. And it, that would have been the the first series they won in Pakistan for a long time, I think, under Mark Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor yeah. was captain. Uh, so, Slats again, 96, this time on the 22nd of September, 1999, at Gaul in Sri Lanka, a first innings 96. So, yeah, you know, almost. And rounding it out on uh, the New Year's test, uh, a 96 in Sydney cricket ground against the West Indies. Mm. So, Slats, you know, what is that? Three in. Three years was one shot away from a hundred. Could have. Yeah, I believe was that ninety uh, six at in two thousand and one. Yes, I was there. This is that. this is the yes. famous column. This Miller is the blue famous one. blue. Yeah, yes, oh, we got it as we were finding our seats that morning. Um, yep, he was wrapping up Courtney Walsh. So we saw that, and then we sat there in the Doug Walters stand, which didn't have a roof on it at that time. And it was the hottest day that you would ever, ever experience. <laughs> and I believe later on, uh, Steve Wall made 100 in that innings. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that is right. Yep. I haven't got the score. The only score other thing I remember was that um, West Indies had a leg spinner named Nagamutu in that game. Yes. Um, I don't know. It was just a novelty to have a... West Indian leg spinner. <laughs> Didn't happen that often. It was a good day. You enjoyed yourself watching yeah, Slats get Yeah, I think I was so like 16 and we were there with our cricket club. Um, I think it was Teals at that time. Teals is a club from Lithgow. So, yeah, I remember that day. Remember that day. Yeah. And uh, then we move on to Steve War, who also chipped in with some 96s. Again, one shot away from adding to his impressive century total. This was on the 20th of November, 1997, at the Wacker uh, against New Zealand. It was bowled by O'Connor for 96, so four short there. Uh, I remember seeing highlights of that. That was a big old full toss that swung. <laughs> yeah. It made a few hot YouTube packages. Then on the uh, a month later, basically, Boxing Day, the Boxing Day test against South Africa, Alan Donald had him out court Cullinan uh, for 96, so obviously right. against uh, South Africa. 
Mm, so that's uh, two in the space of a month. Two hundreds gone begging in the space of a month for for Tugger. Yeah. And um, then in 1999, again on a New Year's test, he was bowled by the Poms for 96. So. All right. Was it? Uh... I'm trying to remember, think if I remember that. It was Peter Such. That was. Sold him through the game. Well done. Yeah, I've got a crazy memory for <laughs> Steve Waugh's innings. He was one of my favourites. <laughs> so, yes, that's yeah. um, 96 was easily the most common. Mm, and um, Ricky Ponting got a 96 on debut. Yeah, he should yeah. have got 100. He was absolutely shot. So. <laughs> Hit him on the thigh. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. DRS as was around. Was, as he was jumping, yeah. Um, but yeah, so ninety six, one, uh, you know, a, a, a shot along the ground away from scoring a hundred, and it's undone yeah. slats and yeah, tugger a lot of times. So there you go, there you mm. go. All right, so yeah, so we'll uh, next week we'll uh, do the, go through the ninety sevens and see how many of them that they ended up with in that one, mm. and uh, we'll get on with the rest of the show right after this. Go straight down the throat of first slips. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last few days, I'm sure most of the cricket fraternity has heard and has an opinion on uh, Tim Payne. Uh, news broke a few days ago that Tim Payne was resigning from the position of the Australian Test Captain uh, amid a, a sexting scandal that happened with a co-worker from Cricket Tasmania four years ago, just prior to him taking the field uh, for day one of the uh, 2017 Ashes at the Gabba. Mm. Uh, so it's uh, quite emotional. He's uh, accepted full responsibility and all that and, and stood down. He didn't want to be a distraction and understood that the the conduct that he, you know, that he'd undertaken was not befitting that of an, uh, an Australian captain and stood aside. So just to be clear, he, he stood down as captain. But he's still available as the wicketkeeper. Yes, so he's just in a in a player only role right. for the time being. Uh, mm. And so all sorts of stuff have gone far and wide across the media. Uh, some backstory to this is this actually came about in two thousand early two thousand and eighteen. This was discovered by Cricket Tasmania and Cricket Australia and investigated. Mm. The investigation proves that there was no wrongdoing, no breach of conduct acceptable breach of conduct. It was two willing participants that were involved in the in the exchange and they basically said that it happened, it hasn't happened since, uh, no harm, no foul, let's get on with business mm. and, and move yeah. on. And so Tim Payne's obviously then had to go through uh, all of the uncomfortableness that would be explaining that to his, his wife and his family yeah. and moved on from there. And then four years later, somehow it's made its way to the media again. So not only does... You know, Tim have to make a very public, very emotional uh, resignation from his from his post, but uh, it's all you know. Bonnie and, and the family have all been brought up again four years later, having to deal with the same mm. the same nonsense. Uh, my issue with this is that, of course, Tim's actions aren't ideal. They're not acceptable. You shouldn't be doing this. But when you look into it a little bit further, there's a bit of backstory here. The woman in question uh, actually started proceedings. She fired the first salvo, so to speak, opened the, the messaging for that day. So there was a bit of flirty text the night before. But mm. in the morning, she started things by messaging Tim saying that uh, I'll be having naughty thoughts while watching you on TV, which then started Tim mm. replying in a enthusiastic manner. And all that right. builds up to, to sending the, 
to the photos in question. Yeah. So that happened in November. Mm. Nothing was done about it at the time. And it wasn't until Cricket Tasmania had caught this person stealing quite a substantial amount of money from Cricket Tasmania, sacked her, and then was uh, taking her to court for for that, that she's then discovered that she was quite offended and emotional about the whole ordeal, went to Cricket Australia and asked for an apology and $40,000 to help cover her legal fees against Cricket Tasmania. So, right. you know... She was, she's, uh, she was before the courts today, I believe. Yes. Right. So she's known Tim Payne for quite a while, worked with him, knows mm-hmm. that Tim Payne is obviously married. At not one point through any of these conversations, you know, that, you know, that Tim has been enthusiastic about uh, what's going on, has she replied with, um, I'm uncomfortable with this, Tim, you're a married man. She was all happy to go through and enjoyed the whole process. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it still does take two to uh, tango. Yeah. Um, At the end of the day, and I, I, I just think, I think it's 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 bad PR. Um, it's, uh, but it, I think it really should be from the transcripts that I've read, at least. I mean, you never have all of the information around something. I think it should be an issue between Tim Payne and his wife and his family. Um, <laughs> So. I honestly don't see what bearing this has on Tim's ability as a cricketer. I mean, Cricket Australia already investigated. This This is another thing that really annoys me about it. Yeah. Forget that the, the woman obviously was bringing, well, it certainly looks like that the woman was bring, coming forward with this to extort money out of Cricket Australia. Uh, mm. Cricket Australia have investigated it, have said, yep, cool, no worries, it's all good, we're happy. Move on, you know, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. You know, you're married, you should know better, Tim, but you're both adults, you've had an adult conversation, you know, let's get on with it. Yeah. Then once it's been threatened, you know, they controlled the narrative then. So neither Tim nor this woman had any interest in going public because they didn't want that sort of attention. Apparently someone close to this woman suggested that she go public with it because it would generate a lot of interest and news stories would be clamouring and paying hand over fist to get the rights of the story and she wanted to keep it hush-hush. So she didn't want to get it out there. Hmm. But she was trying to strong, looks like she was trying to strong arm Cricket Australia into covering her legal fees. So then we move forward. Cricket Australia has now lost control of the narrative because it's now become public. They did control it when no one wanted to talk about it and moved on. Hmm. Now they've lost control of it. All of a sudden the investigation that was that no harm, no foul, you know, it was before he was captain, you know, it was an adult conversation, all that. It's gone out the window and there's been no support for Tim Payne. They've just, Tim Payne has resigned and then from there has just been a cacophony of people going, well, well, if we were in charge when this happened, I can tell you what, we would have sacked him on the spot. And I'm like, what a load of garbage. Have you ever been to a business where they have an investigation of this magnitude where it's not written down? Hmm. Like, there would have been information readily available. In fact, the, per, the outgoing um, board member from that period before the new board came in said he found it incredibly unlikely that no one involved in the current Cricket Australia administration had no idea. They knew, they knew and now that it's come to light, the, the guy that they've come to, four months after, like, I'm going to retire and work for Kookaburra, actually, Tim, we really need you to keep for the ashes. Cool, all right, no worries. Actually, Tim, we need you to captain, and we need you to captain the side 
in arguably its darkest ever days and completely rebuild our image from the ground up. Are you a demand for that? This is a guy that was going to retire not long ago for that. So he does all the hard work, fronts the cameras, deals with all of the rubbish coming from reporters about the new Cricket Australia image and what blah, 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 blah. And the first time something goes wrong, absolutely no support for him whatsoever for what's something that they've already established is... Well, I, I would have tended to think that um, having known this, having been passed this information, though, that the selectors would have maybe picked someone different to uh, bring the, <laughs> the sort of public perception of the Australian cricket team out of the, the mire. Honestly, who cares about public perception? Um, well, to, be, to be honest, you know, in, in that sort of sense, PR manager does. <laughs> in, in that sort of sense, it's got nothing to do with cricket. What the Australian public wants the Australian cricket team to do is play cricket, mm. play cricket properly without cheating, as per the sandpaper gate. Yeah, be competitive and win games. Mm, yeah, but why, why would you pick someone if you're? Talking about someone who's not who's not going to cheat, no, someone who you know has kind of, in a way, cheated. Uh, but that's his personal life. It's got nothing to do with cheating on the cricket yeah, it field. Says, it says a little bit about his character, though. Yeah, I think it, it was very surprising for well, me. Well, there's also the fact that we picked Ricky Ponding as captain, and he had a very public <laughs> yeah. um, bar scuffle. Yeah, uh, and we we allowed him to grow from that and improve himself as a person oh, and go true. on to be. Shane Warne was being hyped forever. He was the vice captain forever. He was mm. and how many like I don't have enough fingers and toes to count all of the dumb scandals. <laughs> but he was never involved. made captain and I believe that a lot of that did uh contribute. But he was still part of the leadership. Yeah. He was part and you know he's captain. made his way to Channel Nine as well. Like he's in the public eye. This whole thing is being blown out of proportion for Oh yeah, of course it is. <laughs> it always is for media. Um but um, I just don't. I, I just think, having read the transcript, the sexual harassment thing is a little bit of a grey area. But I think we've got to make it clear that um, you know this kind of thing happens way too often within within workplaces, um, and I think it's very kind of publicly played out. Um, for this reason. <laughs> I just think the whole thing, regardless of the the moral implications of it, has nothing to do with Tim Payne as a cricketer. Hmm. Yeah. And the I, fact I, I think, yeah, it's, it's being dragged out um, based on things that, that people are experiencing, not necessarily talking about this specific case, you know. Um, and yeah. we've also got to remember that Tim Payne, this happened before Tim Payne was captain. Yeah. So once Tim Payne has been made captain, there is no evidence anywhere that Tim Payne has done anything but lead Australia with the respect that, and the dignity that the position implies. Hmm. So are we saying now that to be the captain of Australia, you cannot have had any transgressions of any kind before taking the post? Because this is one of the things that Michael Clark said that I actually do agree with, is if you're going to be looking for an absolute clean skin player that has never done anything wrong in their life before becoming the Australian captain, we won't have a captain. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Does everyone sort of do that? Is that like, I, I can say that I've never done that kind of thing. Um. 
maybe not specifically that kind of thing, but we're talking like what? So that's that's the limit. We can accept everything up to sending naked photos of yourself to a woman. So everything else is on the table. So they can get into bar fights. They could yeah. do drink yeah. drink drive, take recreational drugs at some point in their life. Mm. You know what's where, what's the line where personal think, transgressions before taking the job? No, I think the the line has got to be uh... because he hasn't done anything illegal. Hmm. So. Well, yeah. Well, that's true. Um, I think it's got to be uh, the point where you you harm someone. Although that you know that take counts out Ricky Ponting. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you've got to you've got to decide where you're going to draw the line. But I think maybe you just take it on uh, cricket merit, and then yeah. you tell them from now on, <laughs> any transgressions that don't meet the standards, the you know the Mm. Yeah, I suppose you could also sort of equate it to um, Israel Israel Folau's sacking. Oh, we don't want to go there. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in absolutely no way religious. I think religion is nonsense. Mm. But I respect religious people's rights to practice their religion. Mm. And what Israel Folau has said is that, that yeah. the thing that blew up, it wasn't, you know, homosexuals will go to hell. It was a big list. It was drunks. It was adulterers. It was drug takers. It was atheists. It was homosexuals. All of them. All of the the Christian bad guys were there. Didn't single anyone out. And anyone who... Anyone who's anyone knows that Christians don't like those people. It's mm. it's been painfully obvious for a long time now. So no one's shocked that an overly religious person would put up a religious post that would say that. So... Yeah. Anyway... Opening a can of worms. Oh, yeah, a massive can of worms. We'll never get to the bottom of that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so so as it is, Tim has, has stood down. Uh, Justin Langer is probably the only classy person involved in this who has sold Tim that he didn't want him to step down, but he stepped down anyway. So now the hunt is on for the next Australian captain and potentially the next wicketkeeper. So Tim Payne has said that he is available to be picked. Yeah. Though there is the question that 36-year-old, 36 years old, hasn't played since January, just mm. coming off neck surgery, yeah. yet to score a, a test match 100. And you've got guys like Carey and Inglis and Jimmy Pearson and Matty Wade in the wings who have been playing regular cricket. Does Tim Payne make the side as a keeper if he's not the captain? Um, no, I think, I think you've got to look to the future um, if it... Yeah, I don't know if it, if it doesn't disrupt our uh, our kind of side too much to not have him there. I think probably look to the future. I think uh, a purely pragmatic point of view. Tim Payne play if he plays, it's sentiment. Yeah. He was going to play anyway, and he, this should never have happened. This scandal should never have come out, and so we're not going to drop him. Because yeah. of a scandal. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of people like bagging his his record. I don't know. People have this misperception that Tim Payne has a bad record with the bat. Tim Payne has got a better batting record than two thirds of the English batting lineup. Yeah. And every every Australian wicketkeeper not named Adam Gilchrist. Yeah. So I yeah. think everyone just compares everyone to Gilchrist, and everyone's going to look bad in comparison to that. Guy. Tim more than holds his own with the bat. He should have a better record than what he does because his technique is very good. Yeah. Uh, for mine, I feel that removing Tim Payne from the side 
will have a negative effect on the harmony of the team because the team will realise that he's only been dropped because he stepped down as captain. Yeah. Because if he didn't step down as captain, he would have played all five tests. Yeah. From a purely from a uh, player A is better than player B standard, Tim should probably step aside for. Oh, Inglis has been shouted out. Alex Carey has been shouted out. But obviously, it's a cricket's not played on paper, and the, yeah. the team. The, I like Inglis, but I don't think he's ready yet. I, I think if you're going to go that way, you have to go to Carey. Yeah, I think so too. As it is, I would probably stand pat with Tim Payne at least for the first couple of games to see how. Well, depending on obviously his preparations, obviously they'll have a good look at his preparations uh, outside of the games. He's played uh, the Premier League in Tasmania. He's got a got a few catches. Nothing. He got one decent one down low to his right, but uh, so he took six catches. I don't think he made many with the bat. So depending on how his preparation goes, I think for the, the team harmony, the team are all, uh, are all talking about how they're backing him. Um, Marcus Harris has come out today and said that. Um, he sees no reason why Tim Payne won't play every game, that they've all the boys are behind him mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. So I think I feel that and you know, the relationship between the players and the board has been strained for a while. We had the pay disputes not long ago. There's obviously strains around uh, what happened with Sandpaper Gate and all that sort of stuff. And I feel that uh, you know, a week ago Tim Payne was the captain and likely gonna have, you know, a victorious the captain Australia to earn a victorious Ashes campaign and potentially retire, potentially even on home soil if um, the border disputes between WA and the rest of the country don't get worked out. Tasmania has been pushing for that fifth and final test. Yeah. And then the next week, Tim stepped down as captain, the whole media store behind that, and then a week after that, they're telling him that uh, he's been dropped from the side. Yeah. And I think that that would have a negative effect because it would just be, you know, if it, yeah. wasn't, if it wasn't for this news story, Tim would A, be there and B, be captain. And, I, you know, Team Harmony is a good thing. And if Tim Payne was good enough a month ago to be there mm. and be an automatic selection, then he should still be. Yeah. And he'll, he would, he will be heckled relentlessly by the Barmy army. Yeah. So I think you go in it with an open mind. I mean, it's going to be tough the next few weeks. He is coming, all the stuff about coming back from injury, not having a lot of cricket under his belt. And then he's got to deal with all of the heckling from the palms, all of the media attention. So I think it's very, you've got to keep a very close eye on Tim Payne, but he seems like a guy that's, uh, the media doesn't affect him too much. I mean, he's happy to have a bit of a laugh with the media and, you know, mm. he seems like an easygoing sort of guy. So hopefully he's got a good support network around him and can come in and play his best cricket and go out on a high. I would love for him to pick up a couple of, you know, like a hundred or a couple of hundreds batting at seven to really just put the palms to the sword because mm. they've got uh, a, a Twitter account which is people with as many test hundreds as Tim Payne and they just put photos of, Hmm. people that haven't got anything to do with cricket because they've Tim Payne has zero test hundreds. So hmm. they like having a bit of a laugh at Tim Payne's expense and we know the Barmy Army can be a bit relentless about that, which is funny because then they'll turn around in five minutes and talk about Ben Stokes' mental health and <laughs> don't heckle him too much and the Aussies are mean and, you know, all that sort of rubbish. Yeah. So I... I, I Purely from the situation, would stick stand pat with Tim Payne, but I understand that from a skill set point of view, that the right move from a skill set point of view would be to bring in Carey. But mm. I would imagine that Tim Payne will be afforded the at least the opening games to see how he how he goes. 
That yeah. being said, that if Tim's not up to it, if he's not keeping well or he's not batting well, Australia shouldn't just give him the series out of sentiment. Yeah, He's not the captain anymore. If he's not doing the job that he needs to be doing as a keeper and as a batsman, hmm. um, it's, a, it's too important a series to just sort of go, we feel bad for what's happened to Tim, so we've got to give him the next three tests and see if he comes good. If he's, if he's not good... He's got to earn his place in the side, especially at 36. So moving from there. And I suppose the other big question we've got is then who captains in his stead? The, the two front runners seem to be Steve Smith and Pat Cummins. Do you have any other ideas or do you think that those are the, really the only well, two? I don't know. Like I immediately it came to mind that, um, I don't know, when it first happened, I was like, oh, maybe they'll just go to Usman Khawaja since he's in the side and he's captaining Queensland currently in Sheffield Shield. Um, but that would be a pretty left field decision now that I, when I sort of thought about it. <laughs> um, yeah, seeing as he really only just earned his, his place back into the squad. So, yeah, uh, I mean, who else? Nathan Lyon? <laughs> Oh, we want to talk about that. Nathan Lyon was cheating on his wife and then left his wife and kids for a brand new girlfriend a few years ago. So, oh, was that right? I don't know about cheating, but he certainly did just up and leave and okay, well, you know, just shacked up with someone else out of the blue all of a sudden, took his wife by surprise. So, well, maybe that's what's. Uh, so I, uh, I don't think he's ever had leadership aspirations either. He's got the he's got the team song. I think that's enough for Lyon. So yeah, I'd imagine that if. Um, you know, if Tim Payne's getting grilled over that, then surely, you know, yeah. can't, we can't be. Can't, we've got, only going to be a hop, skip, and a jump away from divorcees being, mm. yeah, expelled from the yeah. realms of captaincy. Well, you can't put them in the wives and girlfriends. You can't take them on tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, for mine, the only obvious answer is Steve Smith. Yeah, it, it's got to be. I know Cummins is the vice captain, but he's he's never captained a first class game before. Australia hasn't had a fast bowler as captain since Ray Linwall did it in nineteen fifty six. And I just for mine, if, if he captained lots, like if he captained his club side and he captained his state and had lots of captaincy experience, on paper I could probably get get over the fact that there's going to be all sorts of logistical issues. You know, he's got to go and do his spell, go down to fine leg and. It's hard to manage a side there. Yeah. So there's all those little intricacies and come to it. And then there's the whole sports science thing that, you know, does he underbowl himself because he's a captain? Does he does he not bowl as well because he's too busy worrying about what his next bowling change is going to be, what he's got to do for the field for, for Nathan Lyon, you know, you know, Joe Root's on a tear, how am I going to stop this? Or you know, all that's going through his head while he's trying to run in and bowl. Mm. You just, I just, for more, I want Pat Cummins doing what Pat Cummins does best, and that is bowling. You know, he's a linchpin of the side. He's always going to be there. Have no issues with being him being the vice captain. But from a purely tactician point of view, it's got to go to Steve Smith. You can't give it to Pat. And for those people out there going, well, what if Pat is the captain and Smith could help as vice captain? Just make Smith the captain then. Like, don't stuff around with it. Mm. Um, he would be the captain anyway if it wasn't for David Warner. We wouldn't be having this issue with Tim Payne if David Warner didn't do what he did over in South Africa. So yeah. I think it's a moot point. We've got to go back there. And the other thing that screams to me that you've got to go back to Steve Smith is when they banned him, they banned him for 12 months and then they gave him a 12-month leadership ban. So if Steve Smith had a black mark against his name and could never be captain again, 
Why even stipulate that there was a leadership ban? Just ban him for twelve months. Yeah, take the captaincy off leadership. and then just don't have a don't say that there's a leadership ban. You just it's an unspoken thing that you're not going to be captain again. By saying mm. that there's a leadership ban implies until this date he can't be captain, and then he can be captain after this date. Yeah, well, and that date has isn't, passed. Isn't that what they did for Dave Warner? They just no, said you will yeah. be captain. He's dead done. You yeah. you won't hold a leadership position inside anymore. Finished. Finito. No yeah. C next to your name. Yeah, and and so Smith's done it before. He was a pretty good captain. He's, yeah. he's won an Ashes over in Australia four 0 Yep. It's just I think it's just the the obvious answer is to go to Smith. That's not to say that Cummins can't be a good captain, but we don't know. And I think this series is too important to just throw a bowler who hasn't really captained before into the job to see if he does all right. You yeah. know, making the making the one day captain after Finch, you know, eventually steps aside and let yeah. him cut his teeth on that. Mm. And then, you know, he's still a young man. Smith's far much further along in his career than Cummins is. And there's no reason to say that after a good half decade of being the vice captain and taking over the one day captaincy that um, when Smith retires, Cummins can slot into that role. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Just, I just feel that it's it's too risky a move to take, especially when you've got someone who's an obvious candidate. And mm-hmm. the only reason that we're not going to let him is because he wasn't controlling David Warner over in South Africa. Yeah, I think it's a, it'd be the biggest fear would be it to just, again, be a PR move. Because and again, I had this rant before we matter. got out here. It shouldn't matter. Yeah. Because when when did we start giving the public a vote on who captains our bloody cricket team? Well, everyone has an opinion. <laughs> opinions, are, that's all right. Opinions are nothing. Yeah. But like, if you're going to make a decision for Pat Cummins because you're worried about the public outcry of giving Steve Smith the captaincy back, you're not doing your job properly. Your job is to pick the best team to play cricket for Australia and then the best captain to lead that team. Yeah. And if you're picking Pat Cummins because you're worried that People out there will jump up and down about Smith was a cheat and he didn't do it. He was banned. If Smith's the best person for the job, which he is, pick him. He's not going to make that mistake with Warner again. If Warner goes and does anything funny in the corner of the room, Smith will be the first person out there going, what the hell are you doing? I'm yeah. not missing a year of my career for your nonsense again. Yeah. So that's I, not going to be a thing. Well, yeah. I, I, would, I would really like them to actually, uh, though, once this happens, to actually put a little bit more um, forethought in who, into who they make the vice captain. I think if you're not going to captain the side, you should never be made vice captain. It should have succession. So right? you, you think exclusively the vice captain should be a succession plan, not someone yeah. who's good at... Yeah, I mean, that's that's what they did for, like, Border. Taylor was his vice captain. Well, Gilchrist was... Steve War and Ricky Ponting's vice captain and oh, never made that step up. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily disagree with your point, but I don't yeah. think it, it, it's exclusively a succession thing. Like vice captains mm. have a very different, well, have a different job to do the captain. So I think that if you've got two people that complement each other well, you know, you could be a Gilchrist sort of role for Cummins where he's just in that role for but a prolonged Gilchrist period of time. But did captain the side. That was only because Ponting was injured, though. I know, but now, we, we, now we've got Tim Payne. 
possible. Well, made himself non eligible. Our vice captain is not captaining. But but so. Ponting, but that was Ponting was always going to come back into that role. Whereas yeah. that that's Tim Payne won't come back and be captain. So, so we, we have to now go to a, someone we else. We have a, a new succession. The next person will be the extended. Like that was always going to be after this series. Yeah. Ponting will take the helm again. Mm. He's he'll be back. This one where now. We have no – there is no one coming back into the role. The captain is gone. He's 36. He's already talking about retirement already. He's not going to get that role back. Yeah. So, so I don't necessarily disagree. I think in some cases that is the right have you know, the right plan to have is the vice captain is the natural successor. But there are cases if, if it's not entirely obvious that it could just be someone that works well with the current captain and might not necessarily be the next mm. permanent captain. Yeah, so I don't think it's a hard, fast rule, mm. but I think yeah, there's two there's two schools of thought. Yeah, I think well, I definitely. Both... Think, yeah, well, at least let's not have two vice captains. Or, oh yeah, like, that where Hazelwood like... and Marsh and Travis Head yeah. and yeah. Peter the Ball Boy were all vice captain at one point. It was yeah, it, yeah, that was a joke. Yeah. Like Shane Watson, for example, he was a guy that was made vice captain. I swear they only made him vice captain because they figured we're never going to drop Shane Watson. He's an all-rounder that opens the batting. So let's yeah. just make him vice captain. And He'll he, always he, be there. He did captain Australia. Yes, well. and he opened with Glenn Maxwell in the subcontinent. Yeah. So then we yeah. took the captaincy <laughs> off him. <laughs> oh, we've got a first innings lead. Oh, I better go and send out Glenn Maxwell to open the batting. Yeah. What? Why wouldn't you open the batting? <laughs> Especially after he jumped up and down about it <laughs> when he, they used to put him in at six. Oh, it was, I don't want to go back there again. Yeah. That just made me angry watching that test. And I'm like, what are you doing, Shane? <laughs> Stop it. The only thing worse than that is his commentary. <laughs> oh, silence is your friend sometimes in the yeah. commentary box. Yeah. yeah so that, that's, that's my opinion. I think that if you're not picking Steve Smith, there needs – there would have to be some serious insider knowledge that Pat Cummins is primed and ready to go because on paper the only obvious decision is Smith and by going Cummins you're doing it to appease people that shouldn't have a vote. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I can I can see your point there. Um, I suppose the counter-argument is that it is the general public that watches cricket so they might be concerned that... They will watch what we tell them to watch. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, I, don't, right. I don't buy. I don't buy that for a minute because the the paying public are what. No, it's your job. Don't you need to deal with the public? Your job is to put together the best mm. cricket side to win games. Well, yes. because you know what, in sport, winning earns lots and lots of forgiveness. Yeah. True. Like how many people, whether it should or not is how many people also. were absolutely enamoured like oh we Smith shouldn't be playing in the Ashes rah, rah, rah. and then he comes out and gets back to back hundreds in the first test hmm. in both innings oh we love Smith I always love Smithy but all those people were like oh Smithy's back he's scoring hundreds we love him we love him but you know when you win covers up a lot of cracks. Yeah, you know, best way to earn forgiveness is to put yeah. together a winning I mean, product. We, we talk about the Australian captain alongside our prime minister. Oh, it's way more important than the prime minister. <laughs> However, it's not a democracy. Whereas if we were picking a new prime minister, because Scott Morrison couldn't. Did you stop. vote for Scott Morrison? Definitely not. No. <laughs> 
or, or well, his well, opponent. The, the member. <laughs> you don't vote for <laughs> you don't vote for Scott Morrison. Well, there's only a small select few people that voted for Scott Morrison, and, then, and then the what? it doesn't matter what I vote for. I'm in a strong national seat, so like yeah, I've never voted for a winner. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. New, 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 new. So some good news, finally. Well, not good news, but uh, news of a, a much more friendly nature. Um, South African legend A.B. de Villiers has formally announced his retirement from all forms of cricket. So he's no longer taking part in any of the, the T20 tournaments around the world. He's given it up. He's settling into a well-earned retirement. And, uh, so, and, and thus the retirement of one of the finest batsmen that has ever played the game. Yeah. Ever played the game. Uh, when you look at his numbers, they are astonishing. He's got uh, he's played uh, 114 tests, near enough to 9,000 runs, averaging 50, um, high score of 278 not out, 2200 46.50s, uh, and then you move into the white ball stuff, which was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, nine and a half thousand ODI runs, averaged 53. 53 yeah. at a strike rate of 101. Yeah. That is really... His stats are crazy. Just, they, they've always been I think just from the very start. 2500s, 53 50s. Just that, that is staggering. Yeah. Staggeringly good. And, and that, like, I mean, the only person with a more impressive average there, uh, I think, would be Michael Bevan. But he didn't score it over, you know, 100. Yeah, or Virat Kohli would have be right up there as well in terms of averaging 50 in the one days. But again, yeah. he's doing it at better than a runner ball yeah. for his whole career. Mm. It's that's he's faced 9,473 balls to score 9,577 runs. That is yeah. just a joke. Mm. Um, and then he's played uh, T20, t- uh, 1,600 T20 international runs, average 26 at a strike rate of 135. So not quite the same amount, but he was a guy that, you know, with his job was to go out and throw the bat a bit. Yeah. Because he was so dangerous. What about his bowling stats? Remember his bowling in the <laughs> 2015 World Cup? Uh, well, they're nowhere near as impressive. He has two test wickets. Um, right. Yeah. He has seven one day international wickets. Yeah. And he has no T20 international wickets. Oh. But he averages 28 in one day internationals. So <laughs> looking at his averages alone, he's yeah, one he of the best all rounders ever. He could do anything. He's, oh. His fielding was great. He started his, uh, he started his career as a wicket keeper. <laughs> and then went back to doing that again after Boucher. I think he was the replacement for Mark Boucher after he got mm. the the bail in his eye. Um, yeah. Villiers took up the gloves for a while, which is part of the reason South Africa were so strong because typically when you look at a, a lineup, your weakest positions in your lineup would be your, in terms of your batting average, would be your all rounder and your wicket keeper. So you'd have your openers, three, yeah. four, five, six. And then seven would be your wicket, your wicket keeper and your all rounder, and they're yeah. typically the weakest members of your batting lineup because they're doing other, they've got other skills to complement their batting. Yeah, they had Jacques Callas who averaged fifty four, yeah, and A.B. de Villiers who averaged over fifty, who yeah. the, and they were the highest the, averaging players in their batting lineup. Yeah, and they're right. supposed to be the worst. Yeah. I think they might have had Sean Pollock in the same side. I think very brief, or well, not briefly, but I think by, yeah. by the time they got the, hit their straps and the peak of their powers, Pollock had already moved on. I think that yeah. was the Stain, Philander, 
yeah. Morkel era yeah. was more when that was common. But yeah, just a staggering, a staggering Batman as a watch. Uh, he's known as Mister Three Hundred and Sixty because he could just hit the ball anywhere. Mm. Um, I remember several um, really amazing knocks against the Australians. Um, one being just after the thirteen fourteen Ashes, where Mitchell Johnson tore England apart. We yeah. then went on tour to South Africa, and it was normal transmission resumed. Johnson was out there tearing. He hit Amlar in the face with a cricket ball. He bounced yeah. out Graham Smith. He made the entire top order look like he was bowling, literally bowling hand grenades, and they were yeah. like ducking for cover. And A.B. De Villiers comes strolling out to the crease, now, first ball from Mitchell Johnson, you know, was back away. of a length. Yeah. It was up. I don't even didn't even pull him away. It was up around sort of chest height. He just sort of got on his tippy toes and then played it through the covers for two or three. I think just back foot cover punch. Yeah. Like this is a guy that for the better part of four months has been terrorising the world with bounces and short balls. And the first yeah. thing you do is just ride it, and knock it into the gap for an easy two. Like who is this man? <laughs> like, he's ridiculous. Yeah. I think he ended up with eighty odd in that innings because he'd run out of partners and started throwing the bat. But he just looked yeah. completely untroubled. Every, everybody else was just like, yeah. yeah. He's just on a different planet to everyone in that game. The, mm. No one in the South Africans, it wasn't even just Johnson. Like, we were doing a good job against all the bowlers doing a good job. Ryan Harris was doing a good job against yeah. them as well. Except for Deville, Deville just came out and went, mm, I don't know what you guys are finding so hard. He just hit the ball. And <laughs> it's ridiculous. That, that ridiculous. was exactly what it was like. Yeah. Um, and then uh, after he announced his retirement, obviously social media lit up with a bit of his highlights. Do you remember he's 162 off about 50-odd balls in the 2015 World Cup? Uh Yes. Yes, I did. That, he came out – I think he came out in the – 38th over or the 37th over. Yeah. And, yeah, 100 in 12 overs. 12 overs. Or just something like to that effect, he just went and scored 162. Um, and he, There's he, a lot of big scores in it, it was Cup. He was playing stick cricket with everyone else. <laughs> yeah. That's not bad. Three a ball in stick cricket. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we just wanted to give a big shout-out to A.B. Deville. He's, like, he's been one of my favourite players to ever have played, um, especially since I've been watching. He's just an absolute thrill to watch, an absolute gun in the field, um, could just do stupidly good things with the bat. And, uh, yeah, enjoy your retirement. It is well earned. Yep. Leg stump, that and all it. What a wonderful shot to bring it up on as well. What a moment for Michael Clark. It's been a while since we've done this, but uh, I've got the time machine fired up, humming away nicely in the garage, ready for us to head down there and uh, take it back. Uh, so as we talked about, we're going to go and uh, check out Michael Clark's The Purplest of Purple Patches, I think you can get. So the final innings of, of that phenomenal run where he ended up with four double hundreds, well, triple hundred and three double hundreds in a calendar year, mm-hmm. which culminated in Adelaide on the 22nd of November 2012, one of the finest years of cricket that I have seen in recent memory. He just tore up the Indians, he tore up the South Africans, and it was quite a quite a handy bowling attack. Um, Stain was there, Walker was there. So 
Callis was there, and uh, I believe Philander was there, the one at the Gabba as well, where he tore them up. Yeah. So uh, the Gabba, I think, is one of the finest shots I've seen Michael Clark play, where Mornay Morgan came steaming in. Oh, I remember this. We were in the pub, right? Yeah. Watching this. And uh, he came yeah. steaming in, back of a length, almost short, and Michael Clark just rode the ball up and punched it through the covers for four all the way along the ground. There was hardly any footwork. That was... Yeah, it, I mean, just, it, it was, was just, just a... balance. It was just, yeah. Just all... a small shift of weight and just... Yeah. And I remember sitting there, and I can't remember who we were with, but I remember that wasn't like a normal group of cricket it, it, friends. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like the hardcore. And so we were sitting there just yeah. like our jaws dropped and hit the table. We were like, that is phenomenal. <laughs> and they're like, what? He just hit a four. It's not that exciting. He didn't even yeah. hit it in the air. And we were like... Why? What? Yeah. What? Uh, Why are you here? That, uh, that one shot does stick in my head because, yeah, we just looked at each other and like, wow, we've experienced something right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was always nine years ago, and it's still fresh. I just, yeah, the sound it made, it was mm. just like, and you know, there was Clark no, held his shape. It was yeah, just, exactly. There was no. I don't know. There was. It, there was no effort. Yeah, it was, yeah. wasn't flamboyant. There yeah. wasn't any big follow through. It was it, just a punch, and it was at 144 like, kilometers per hour at Clark's chest, and he's just guided yeah. it along the ground. Like, like Mark Waugh at his absolute silkiest probably, you know, approached that shot. Yeah. Like, you know, Mark Waugh when he played a cut shot and he just kind of laid back and. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. something certainly yeah. quite magical about that. So we're yeah. going to hop in the time machine. We're not going to go back to that game. We're going to go back to the one at Adelaide where he scored 230 off 257 points. So here we are, 2012, Adelaide, and uh, it's the second test of the series between Australia and South Africa, yeah. and Australia get off to an absolutely phenomenal start. David Warner comes out and hits a run, more better than a run of ball 100, 119 off 112. Is that all? Yeah, now just a brisk 109. <laughs> so this is the uh, where we tried to get Rob Quiney. This is where we're hiding. Oh, right, yeah. We're hiding Phil Hughes from the South Africans, which I thought was weird seeing that yeah. Phil Hughes absolutely flayed them on his first ever tour. But we yeah. hid Phil Hughes from Dale Stain, and uh, yeah. Rob Quiney was the he had the classiest nine ever. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> what he's remembered for. Um, so it gets out, starts off uh, one forty three. Ed Cowan two forty four. Rob Quiney three fifty five. Ricky Ponting. So we're in a bit of bother there, 355. And then enters Michael Clark, who, you know, forgive the the sports cliche, is seeing it like beach balls. And he and Dave Warner, like Michael Clark is going at a strike rate of 90 and Dave Warner's going at a strike rate of uh, of 106. And um, away they go. Dave Warner gets his 100, gets out, 4 for 210. In comes Michael Hussey. So we've put on a 150-ish run partnership, 160-ish run partnership. Mike Lussie mm. comes to the crease. He scores 103 off 137. So that's a strike rate of a 75. 
And then when he departs, we're five for 482. So we've gone two for 430. Yeah. And taken the game away from the South Africans. And, uh, yeah, what can you say? Michael Clark adding to that, uh, that's just golden run that he's been on, bringing up 240 off 257, facing Mornay, Morkel, Stain, all those guys, 44s and 1-6 in that knock, mm. uh, really shapes the game up, 550 all out, just uh, a fantastic start. 44s. 44s. Um, that being said, the South Africans battled back. Graeme Smith scored uh, another one of his failed hundreds. We should have known then that it was where the, the game was going because South Africa just don't lose when Graeme Smith scores hundreds. Yeah. Um, Faf C uh, scored 78, and Jacques Callis, who I believe was carrying a bit of an injury, came in at uh, at nine and scored uh, 58. Mm. Got a South Africa to 388. We went in, had a bit of a slap. No one really did anything. Michael Hussey scored a 50, but we put on uh, 267 for eight declared, leaving an imposing... 430 for South Africa to get. Now, I'm glad that this is actually the game we picked because it ties in nicely to uh, AB de Villiers because yeah. while we're talking about AB de Villiers' just phenomenal ability to score runs at a frenetic rate, hmm. he scored 33 off 220 hmm. trying to save the game. Yes, I remember that well. <laughs> and uh, Faf Duplessis, of course, scored who, that 100. Who was in our attack here? Why couldn't we crack these guys over? What's, what's going on? Uh... So Ben Hilfenhaus, Peter okay. Siddle, yeah. uh, Michael Clark came out and bowled eighteen overs in this game. Yeah. Um, I think it was a it was just one of those pitches that, that died a little bit. I mean, not not making excuses, but Nathan Lyon bowled a lot. Yeah, uh, and James Pattinson, but he he was injured. He remember he got injured in that game and didn't uh, end up bowling right. in the so second that, innings. That, that must have been why Michael Clark bowled so many overs. Well, we both got a wicket in the first innings. Who did he get? Yeah, he got he got callous. All right, caught behind. Maybe that's why he came in at nine. He was just that embarrassed that he got out to Michael Clark. <laughs> um, yeah, like uh, I suppose Hilfenhaus's career um, sort of tapered off. A lot. He, yeah. he sort of got that weird slingy thing that he got obsessed with, like like a bowling really round arm. Like yeah, that. and you could really yeah. tell when Hilfenhaus was on because he wasn't bowling round arm. He was more straight, and you could build Hilfenhaus yeah. in for a good, good one today. Whenever you saw him coming in bowling more round arm, you're just like, oh, throw him in the bin, he's done. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we go from just absolutely stunning stroke play in the first innings by the Australians, scoring just at ridiculous rate for a test match, and then we bookend it with some phenomenal batting in terms of saving a game. So, obviously, De Villiers scored that 33 off 220 trying to save the game. Um, Faf Duplessis was the big thorn in our side. He scored 100 off 376 balls. And uh, Callis also chipped in with a 46 off 110, so really trying to glue that to the end. Yeah. We finally got through them, and we got down to, to Mornay Morkel. We just couldn't, just couldn't get him. And uh, I remember Siddle had to have been running on just, High yeah. fives and and applause <laughs> at that point because there couldn't have been anything left was, in the tank. Was he still eating steak at that time? Or I believe he, he was running on bananas. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he got four for sixty-five in that second innings. Nathan Lyon got three for forty-nine and trying to trying to get us home. But uh, unfortunately, I think with just no James Pattinson in that lineup, we were just a just a gun short of getting 
You have mm. to think that if James, uh, James Patterson's running in, breathing fire at 145 kilometres per hour, has, does a better job at knocking out Mornay Morkel in the tail than Siddle is wearily bowling at 130. Yeah, yeah. But, as lion-hearted as he was. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it was a great game. It was a compelling TV, especially considering that the pitch, like you said, is probably a, was a bit too flat. But that being said, in the second innings, admittedly we were probably going after it a bit. No, we lost eight wickets in 70 overs. So there's a bit of run scoring. Pattinson got some runs. Obviously, he was fit enough to bat, but not bowl. And then it comes out that South Africa's like, oh, we're not going to chase down 4.30. So they went straight into um, yeah, save the game mode. It really just showed how A.B. de Villiers can pretty much do anything. I think it also showed the, just the how evenly matched these two sides were, not just Australia, but South Africa. Like So... South Africa was a very talented side and, and realised very early on that the the idea that they were going to chase down 4.30 was probably beyond them. Hmm. But they were all talented enough that they could put up a a reasonable defence yeah. and try and, and save the game. And that's what they did. Uh, and so, yeah, so it was uh, probably not the ending that they that Clark wanted to for that game, but what a, what a spell that Clark had. So he scored a double hundred against India, followed it up with a three hundred and twenty-nine not out, which is his highest score at the at the SC his highest score in general, but that was at the SCG in front of his home crowd, uh, with the the blank bat. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no sponsorship. No sponsors. Yeah. Uh, which didn't last long. Mm. And then we come out here against South Africa and plays just that magnificent swashbuckling innings at the Gabba. And then backs it up here in the very next test with another double hundred. It was just, I think it was Clark announcing himself that I am one of the great, great batsmen this country has produced. Yeah, uh, he became that. That like I think he announced himself as the key wicket in our lineup before this summer. Like he was already the guy, but this mm. was this cemented it. This was not only is the he, he's the world's key wicket right now. The, yeah. There wouldn't have been too many batsmen in the world yeah, at that he, point. He, he, he graduated from uh, promising youngster. Um, and I think a lot of people were impatient with him a little bit. I think going he, from promising youngster to to serious cricketer. I think himself was a bit too impatient. I think he, he really rung the bells of, I'm a very talented batsman and I'm on my way. In that um, 2009 Ashes series, I think that's when he yeah. became he supplanted Ponting as being the key middle order wicket for Australia. Yeah, um, he scored a couple of really big hundreds in that series, and then from there, you know, we had a bit of a dip in that 2010-11 series where everything went wrong and England England beat us, and then he was given the, the captaincy and he backed that up with a, immediately with 150 against South Africa. He went over the subcontinent, scored runs. You know, India scored runs here uh, against South Africa. He scored runs, and then following on from this, he's about to go to India and score runs over there as well. Like it just, yeah. it was going from strength to strength, and um, yeah, I believe, and no one's matched that feat mm. since. Yeah, and I don't think anyone matched it beforehand. Like, and that's like Bradman talking didn't get that. Admittedly, Clark got to play a lot more games than Bradman, so more opportunities to score. Hmm. Multiple double hundreds in a in a twelve month period, but uh, yeah, and Bradman had to travel by boat. <laughs> <laughs> you got to run laps, I suppose, on the boat. Yeah, that was about true. it. You know, the boat could have been a blessing in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, yeah, so I think that it quite nicely rounds out our episode here, talking about Clark's batting feats, but also we got to see an example of just what the how broad a player A.B. de Villiers was. We're talking about that 50, 160 or 50-odd balls he scored in the World Cup, and he's a player that could also knuckle down and score, you know, 33 off 220. It takes a very special player to be able to do that. I believe he's got another one in India where he had another inning similar to that 40 off some ridiculous amount of balls. Hmm. Uh, and there are very, very few players that can switch gears to that magnitude. Yeah. The old commentary, you know, Ian Chappell coming out while the innings was happening. Every time that there's a, someone playing for the draw, Ian Chappell will make the comment that, well, you don't want to shut up shop completely as a batsman, you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, that just gives the onus to the bowler. And AB shut up shop and did that, and it worked. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not quite to the extent that Faf Duplessis did, but I suppose when you're going to score 100 off nearly 400 balls, you're always going to get more attention. But uh, yeah. I don't think De Villiers gets quite the amount of credit that he did hanging around with. Duplessis to yeah. sort of get him into the position to do that. It was, yeah, just a phenomenal piece of batting. I mean, a guy like A.B. de Villiers, who went 220 deliveries without hitting a boundary. Mm. He had no boundaries in that innings. That yeah. is it's just it's <laughs> unfathomable. The, the amount you... of concentration that that would take. Yeah, that's what I mean. Your natural instincts are saying, I could, like, reverse switch ramp this for six, easy yeah. as you like, but I'm just going to prop forward and play a forward defence. Yeah. Well, that's right there in the slot. I could I could definitely play that through the covers. That's just four mm. runs. What, no, I'm going to leave it because that's not what the team needs. The team needs mm. risk-free, steadfast defence to get us home. And yeah. just, yeah. Yeah, just the, every natural instinct is of such a genuine play, a shot maker like De Villiers would have been screaming to go after some of these deliveries. They were like, mm. that's your shot. You can do it. And just the not only the mental fortitude to survive 220 balls, but the mental fortitude to fight off your own subconscious mm. and your own muscle memory to do it, was it'd be staggering. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, he'll turn around and there'll be an ODI mm. shortly after and he'll go and spank everything for four like it was nothing at all. So... Very, very, two very, very special players doing two very different things in this game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, I think it's a worthy a worthy trip to back in time. Well, it's not a frivolous time travel trip, this one. This was yeah, a good trip. Yeah, saving the juice. Saving the juice. That will round out our 96th episode. We will have more Critical Goodness coming your way next week as we get into... Uh, Big Bash, we get into Ashes preparation, all that good stuff. I believe New Zealand and India are about to start a test series, so that probably be worth a look as well. All right. See if the World Test Revenge, revenge the World Test Champions can, um, you know, stick it to the bridesmaids and, yeah, you know, keep the dream alive. Mm. Both teams are coming back from T20s, so... It's going to be a bit of an adjustment period, so we'll have a, have a bit of a chat about that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, bring on the Ashes. We're one step closer. And we'll also probably have a, a, a captaincy to announce. We'll hopefully by then have heard who's yeah, going to be. Yeah, yeah, they're not just going to give it to, like, the person who shows up first. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. Let me do it. I'll bat at 11. 
Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell people what to do. They didn't pick Joffre Archer, so <laughs> it's not going to be way too quick for me. It'll still be too quick for me, but you know, yeah. I won't die. You, you can get outside the leg stone. That's all right. I'm captain. I'll just declare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> Hopefully, you're not needed. Oh, if I'm needed, I'm going out there. But if all I'm yeah. going to do is just get in the way. Can you imagine it? You need one run or something like that. Just kick it and run. <laughs> yeah. Kick it and run. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, that'll do us for another episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, bye for now. Bye. Over. Sports Social Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 